want to introduce you first to Dan. Dan has chosen a life of gambling. He's married with kids. He is a successful financial planner. And at one point in his career, over the span of 20 months, he defrauded 12 of his clients for over $2.1 million to actually feed his ever-growing gambling addiction. Also, I want to introduce you to John. John has chosen a life of violence. By his mid-teens into his early adulthood, into his mid-adulthood, he was a hitman for the mafia. And he would make sure that people paid what they owed, and if they didn't pay, that they still paid for it in some way, shape, or form, physically and maybe even with their own life, oftentimes choosing his favorite tool, the baseball bat, which brought back memories of him playing baseball growing up. And I also want to introduce you to Heather. Heather has chosen a life of pill addiction. At a very young age, she grew up in a home to then become married at 17, to then be divorced by 24, to then lose her four kids by the time the oldest was the age of 13, and still to this day chooses pills, knowing the consequences. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see people, really anybody or certain people, I can be quick to make judgments. I can quickly predetermine who they are and what they're choosing, why they're choosing what they're choosing, and what, whether they're choosing right or wrong. I can look at their way of life and predetermine whether they're up to good or not, or whether they should be doing something different or better. I don't know about you, but I, I, I can really look at other people and judge the worldview that they have. I, I can judge their social and their moral behaviors. I can judge their lifestyles. Very, very quickly, I, I again predetermine who they are, why they've gotten there, and really that they could be making better decisions in their life. Anybody else? Yeah, a couple of us, good. A couple of us mean people that judge others. Now, there's always another side of the story, though, isn't there? So, like, for example, if we think about Dan, our financial planner who's chosen a life of gambling. See, Dan grew up at the racetracks with his dad. By the very young age, by the age of 10, his best friend's dad was a bookie, making illegal gambling bets, and was around it. Saw the transaction, saw the lifestyle, saw the rich and the famous. And over a long period of time, what was basically captured in moments, he fell into the same lifestyle. By the age of, by, by the, before graduating high school, he was losing thousands of dollars betting on high school football games while still in high school. His dad found out eventually that he was doing this. And his dad said, you have a problem, let me know when you're fixed. He went to a counselor. And they said, well, you don't have an addiction. These are the things that are wrong with you in your life. And he just kept going and going and going. And it was one day where he went to a client's home and they needed to write a check and they chose the products on the spot. He oftentimes didn't do that. And they said, where do I write the check to? And in a split second, he said his own name. Not even realizing that that was going to be the first time that led to $2.1 million being defrauded from 12 of his clients. Or we can look at John's life, who's chosen the baseball bat to make means. 
See, now his story is interesting. His parents actually immigrated from Albania, which is a war-torn, very hard upbringing for them. They move into a neighborhood on the East Coast that is coined Death Haven. And his dad, wanting to be a professional boxer, finds himself very early on in and around gangsters and mafia families. And by way of his dad making sure that the same lifestyle wouldn't happen to John, John needed to be able to defend himself on the streets. By the age of three, John had boxing gloves on in his basement boxing his four-year-old brother to make sure that he could defend himself. And then by the age of five, he was doing 100 push-ups and running a couple miles a day, having to follow his dad at the track because he needed to be fit. By the age of 10, it was 10 miles. And he said that growing up, when most of his friends were looking at movie stars of who they wanted to emulate, he was looking at the famous gangsters. His baseball coach actually ran one of the largest mafias in his area and even across the United States and invited him in to use his baseball bat to run a couple errands. And that stirred years of violence for him. We could take Heather. As you hear her story of addiction, you start to find out that by a very young age to uh, a mother who had her own addiction, she was responsible for raising her two younger siblings. And when her mom was using, she would become violent and she would take that violence out on Heather because she was the primary target. Heather gets diagnosed with an immune deficiency or disorder, and doctors start handing her pills to cope with the pain. They say, this is a terminal illness, we just want to make you comfortable. To this day, she's taking 80 pills a week in her 40s. By the age of 17, her mother had, quote-unquote, married her off to someone that was, again, abusive, to repeat the patterns of her childhood. She flees by the age of 24 to a place called Skid Row just to get away from it all to eventually just lose her kids. In her 40s, only having contact with the 18-year-old here and there. And admits still choosing pills, even though she knows the consequences. See, one thought that comes to mind as I, as I poured into not only these stories, but many others this week was this thought here. There's personal responsibility for an individual's decision. We never want to negate that, but often the individual isn't the only one responsible. See, you and I make decisions every single day. And at face value, we say that you were responsible for making that decision. And oftentimes we can do that without realizing that other people, other contexts, other experiences, other things have formed the ways in which we make decisions. That there have been certain things handed to us that have influenced the way we make decisions today, right now, this week, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Those are all influenced by the people that have come before, by the years that have come before, that work experiences that have come before. Yet you are still responsible for your individual decisions. And I don't know about you, but as I hear these stories, I can very quickly just, man, that is hard. I can hear the other side of that story and have empathy. Brought to tears multiple times this week, listening through different stories. Because it's real, and it's raw, and it's everyone's experience in some way, shape, or form, and many are worse than others, and the ones that are worse, there's others that are worse than that. And as I think through 
all of these, it's easy for me to have empathy. But you know where it's harder to have empathy? The people that are closest to me. The people that I'm in relationship with throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the months, who are doing things that I don't agree with, who are making decisions that I don't like or think are best, who have a worldview that I would say is petty and hurting other people, that have a political standing or a lifestyle, whatever it is, the people that are most close to me, it's very hard for me to have empathy and I stay in a place of judgment because I, I know what's best for them. The people that I'm in a relationship, I can see where they're missing it and why they don't see it the way I do and why they should change what they're doing or how they're going about it, what they believe, their values. Anybody on that one? Just me? Cool. So as we go through this, I wonder, thinking about decisions that are other people making, is, is you, you start to bring people to mind in your life. Like, who do you not agree with right now? And not like the social pundit on CNN or Fox News or on ESPN, but like, who in your life do you not agree with right now? Who's doing something that you think they shouldn't, that you think should heed your advice, that should change their ways, that should see it the way you see it. Do you have anybody like that in your life right now? And, and I know for me, because they're closer to me and I less likely to become empathetic, I actually get irritated and frustrated. And, and, and I start thinking through these emotions that are very personal to me because they are personal to me. And all of a sudden, I can even find myself as angry. I, I can actually become angry with other people because of their thoughts, views, beliefs, Decisions, lifestyle, judgments, behaviors, morality, just continue to go through the list over and over and over again. So maybe to go deeper into that question, is there anybody that you're angry with right now? Is there anybody in your life that you're just like, what? What are they doing? Like, why? God, like, can they not just, if they would, you know, they had it coming, I've been telling them. Like, if they would just, do they not see that the, like when they think of, how do, are you angry with anybody? You frustrated, you feel like pulling your hair out right now with somebody. And if you do, like me, you're not alone. There might be some good news in that, but I think there's even better news because as we turn to the scriptures, as we actually look at the story of God, if we look at the story of Jesus, we can see it through certain authors. And one of those authors is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And He's going to help us kind of think through this series that we're doing, calling Being Open, Statements that Build Relational Connections. Little, little statements that actually can shape the way that we operate in relationships, that we could actually have good and better and healthy and thriving relationships. And, and at one point, James says this. In chapter 1, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters, those that I care about, like, listen my dear brothers and sisters, take note, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, this idea of anger, this idea of being frustrated, irritated, whatever, when it starts to lead to this place of anger, I don't know about you, but I'm more quick to, to cut people off, to call people out, to, to cancel people for what they're doing or what they're saying. It, the way of anger actually starts to break into and ruin this way of righteousness or rightness 
that God has called us to. The idea of righteousness is being in right standing with God and therefore being able to be in right standing with others. And he's saying this, thing, this idea of anger, because you're not just angry, you're, you're angry with somebody or at somebody. Like, I don't know, sometimes I get angry at something, like if something breaks in the house, I'm like angry, and, but like there's not like a thing there of relationship where God's like, hey man, you gotta, te- like, you gotta treat that refrigerator better. Like you can't get angry, like you need to fix that. Now, there might be anger inside of me that needs to be resolved, but when it actually starts to work out relationally, we're, we're actually doing the thing against what God has created to be in right standing with him and with other people. And to draw this out a little bit more, just to kind of hone in on this part of the verse, in verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I know this would be true in my own life, and then I I look around at a lot of the world right now, and I wonder if it sounds more like this. Everyone should be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Do you feel that one more ever? Like, man, if it, just hold on. Just let me speak. Let me, let me, no, well, no, you can't, but like if, but if that's the way you think, then you need to, and you just kind of keep go. Like, you need to hear what I have to say. In, in so many ways, culture right now, and has been progressing towards this, we, we all have a megaphone to say. And, and oftentimes what can happen is I can look around at all the things that are happening that I disagree with, and, and I, I need people to hear why I disagree with it, that I, that I disagree, that, that, that what they're doing isn't right, that it could be better, that it could be the way that I see it. And I wonder how oftentimes also in a world that is so divided, where relationships are on the fritz, where the political climate is fraying at the seams where, where a history of racial oppression is becoming more and more and more apparent and being more and more revealed. Oftentimes, I need to say what I need to say to fix others because I don't want to be hurt. If people will just listen to me, if people will just hear me. So I need to not listen to them. I need to speak because I'm angry with them. I need to resolve them. I need to fix and correct them. The statement that, that I want us to think through this morning, that, that it might actually give us a better chance at building good, healthy, relational connection for the long term, even with people that we may not agree with, but we're in a relationship with, is, I am listening. I am listening. When's the last time you tried that on? Now, it's easy to, should I say easier, to listen to the people that you like and that you agree with. But what about those that you don't agree with? What about, again, those that you're angry with? I am listening. And real quick, just a little bit of interaction here. How do we know if someone's listening? Like, I'm having a conversation with you, and I'll get it started right now, is that you all, thankfully, and are choosing to, give me your undivided attention. I know you have a million things going on in your world and in your head, but you're choosing to make eye contact, choosing to not, like, shout back at me or throw anything at me. Like, what else? What are other ways we can tell that someone is actually listening? Go ahead and say it out loud. Eye contact. Good. What else? Say it one more time. Acknowledging what you're actually saying. I hear this, or you said that, or yeah. What else? 
mirroring physical, the nodding with them or the hand gestures with them and what else? Putting your phone away, yeah. I try to do that as often as possible. Sitting with people like phone face down on silent. Caitlin doesn't like that one all the time because then I don't pick up. I'm not dead though, I promise. What else? Asking follow-up questions, good, yeah. Maybe one more? Body positions. Yeah, if I'm standing sideways looking at something, I'm in trouble for this one, like multitasking and someone's talking to me, I'm, but I'm busy and I'm not actually open facing them. Right, so there's a lot of ways that we can listen. There's a lot of ways we can know if we're listening. And I think it matters, there's a, a, a quote that I love, um, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. See, this idea that I get to, because isn't that it? That I, I want to be heard, so I'm quick to speak because I, I want someone to listen to me. I, I want people to hear what I have to say. I, I need, so I want to feel loved. And if, if you think right now, if you think about someone who listens well in your life, I've had a few this week that stood out to me, but again, it's all the things that we said. They're patient when I speak. You know, scientists are finding that actually, oftentimes what we're doing when we're listening is we're actually just thinking about what we're going to say next. You guys ever do that one? You've already predetermined where they're headed and what they're going to say, and I'm starting to formulate my answer, whether they're asking for it or not, and I'm not even listening anymore. I'm just listening to myself, thinking about what I'm going to say to them when I'm not listening after they're... And, but all the different things, when I, I feel loved by people who sit there and say, oh, that's interesting, Ryan. Wow. Oh, that's, that's great. What do you think about oh man, I, I hear that. That's a really good point. Have you ever thought about, and like they're looking at me and they're engaging and they're all these different things. Like when you think about that person, I don't know about you, but I feel loved. I feel loved when people hear something of my life or about me at some point and then they respond with a gesture. They respond with a gift. They respond with a word of affirmation. They, they respond with something to say, hey, I heard you. I was listening to you when you were saying this. I, I feel extremely loved. And I wonder, again, for the average person, I consider myself an average person that to be listened to is quite indistinguishable from actually being loved. That, that they go hand in hand. And we see this in the life and teachings of Jesus. We see a man who, quite frankly, didn't need to listen to anything, has all wisdom, has all authority, could literally go around and just like, just like mic drop people all day long. And just like they're halfway through the sentence and he's just like, are you kidding me? Like, what are you talking? You don't even know. You have no idea. Just stop talking and, and listen to what I have to say. But the amount of times, again, I brought this up last Sunday, the amount of times that Jesus asked questions after people spoke. He listened to what they say. And then in that listening, he said, oh, they're actually after this. I'm gonna ask a different question to draw that out even more. He's so good at listening. Think about the call to pray. God wants to listen. He wants you to converse with him. He wants you to just talk with him. He just wants to be there and say, yeah, tell me more. Tell me more about your life. Tell me more about, your, tell me more about that person you're angry with. Yeah, come on, I get it. I want to listen to what you have to say. I am listening. Who do you need to try that statement on with right now?
Who are you angry with? No elbowing the person next to you. Who are you angry with? Well, good news for you, I invited all of them today. So, Ish, bring them up. We're going we're gonna to listen to them. Um, but by way of these note cards, we're going to try something on. So I'm going to ask you to, to try something and, and trust me and be a little courageous and vulnerable. But I wonder how much of listening, to affirm that we've listened, I think there might be two things for us to keep in mind. That if I've listened well, I can now better understand how someone, where someone has arrived. I can understand, I can hear them say their political view. I can hear them say their lifestyle. I can hear them say, like, just go down the list, the thing that you're angry with them about. I can actually hear what I'm angry with them about. And then I could actually repeat back why they've arrived there. Again, the second half of the story. I can now better understand why they've arrived at the place they've arrived. And if I could repeat that back to them saying, huh, I hear you choosing this because of this, this, and this. Am I hearing you right? And they go, yeah, cool. Like I, I listen to them. I, that means I've asked questions. That means my phone was away. That means I, my eyes were out. Of them. That means that I was actually not thinking of what to say. I was just listening. So what I want us to try on is for a handful of minutes, some of you might be writers, some of you not, so you can bullet point, you can write out. If you feel like you're going to write beyond the note card, feel free to pull out your phone and start drafting a message. What I want you to try and do is I want you to listen to the person that you're angry with right now. I want you to try and listen about the thing about them that you're angry with. And then I want you to pretend as if you're them writing a letter to yourself. So if you were sitting here listening, what you would write on the card are the things that they're telling you about their thing or about their story and why they arrived at that place. So you might be, again, angry with their lifestyle, the decisions they're making, their moral behaviors, their politics, their beliefs, their values. And what you want to write on the card or in your text message, thoughtfully, kindly, is why or what it is and why they arrived there. Can we try that on for a few minutes? So part of this means that you need to just pause. And I think for sake of this, just for all of us, just to pause and say, come Holy Spirit. God, if you haven't yet, may you bring to mind that person. And may you compassionately and grace-filled, can you help us just to hear to listen some of their story what it is they believe what it is they do what it is they view and what about their story brought them to this place so may give us ears to listen so go ahead and spend a few minutes thinking writing that out stepping into their shoes as if they were telling you their story. Good. I hope that, that was invitingly harsh in some ways.
that there's a reality and a weight to that that is transforming. And I don't act as if just saying the words I'm listening fixes all relationships. But I think what it is is it's a posture. It's, it's a value to say, I want to be a person who can be slow to speak, who can be quick to listen, and I can be slow to become angry. I, I want to be a person that will do my best at all means possible to listen to you first before I make all the judgments that I so naturally do. Or even when I start to make judgments, may I actually slow down and listen. And listening looks like a lot of different ways. Quick note, listening doesn't always mean that we stay in things longer than they need to be, especially things that are abusive. If we are in relationships that are harmful and dangerous, that doesn't mean I just need to start listening more and hopefully they'll get better. There is good reason for boundaries. But I don't know about you, this idea of I'm listening might be one of the hardest things because I feel like I'm giving myself away. I feel like I'm giving my right up to speak. I, I feel like I'm giving up my insight and my view and what I think is best for you in your life. I feel like I'm giving away much more than I'm actually receiving. And I wonder if that's a tension that we're actually supposed to feel for relationships to go in the way that God designed them to go. That we actually feel like we're giving up more than we're getting. And isn't that God? Isn't that God? Isn't that what we see in Jesus? Someone who is over and over and over again willing to give away of himself more than we could ever give. More than we could ever give, he has extended himself over and over and over again. So I want to encourage us to be people that can say, I'm listening. One story, and then I'm going to invite Daniel and Ish into, to lead us into ministry time. Michael Frost is a pretty popular pastor and missiologist, meaning that he studies and does a lot of missions. And uh, he tells a story of one year they were raising a bunch of money to go to India. And they raised a lot of money, and they arrive, and their team starts to meet with the people in kind of this foreign, unknown village that had not been established, would not be on a map. They start having conversations and saying, hey, we notice there's a lot of poverty here. We have money to build work programs. Hey, we notice that there is a low education here. We have money to build schools. Hey, we notice that there's a lot of disease and things. We have money to build hospitals. And they start recommending and they recommend and they try to do this and they try to do that. And eventually they said, hey, what, what do you all think you need? And of all the things, they said, a mailbox. They said, we, we would love to have a mailbox because for them to ever get into any type of social services, for the longevity of their community, the needs to be met, they need to be recognizable on a map. To be recognizable on a map, you have to do paperwork with the government. To do paperwork with the government, you need a mailbox to be able to send things back and forth to be recognized as a region, as an area, as a city, as a state, as a country. They said, all we want is a mailbox. And I wonder how oftentimes we enter into relationships thinking that we know what's best, that we know what other people need, we know what other people need to do, we know how other people need to change. And maybe what we need to do most is just say, hey, I'm listening. Tell me more. Why do you view it that way? How'd you get there? And in that, I do believe that people that we're in a relationship will feel loved. And that's about all we can control. So this week, who are you going to say, I am listening? Let's go ahead and move into ministry time.